everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot to talk about this morning. It's Tuesday and it's the 3rd of March, 2020. And what do you know? We came across a story last night in which it kind of just blew my mind. It's on a website called madinamerica.com. And it talks about the danger of walking into a psychiatrist's office. And how many of us have never even imagined that such a thing could actually happen. I don't know about you, but in all my years, I never thought it would be dangerous to walk into a psych- psychiatrist's office. I mean, what on earth is going on in America, right? And uh, as I looked at that and thought about it, uh, and I read the story, my jaw, you know, it's one of those things you read and you have jaw-dropping moments. Like, you just simply just like, Oh my God, I simply just can't believe this. (laughs) So today I want to talk about this from the perspective of how does this happen? How did we get to the stage and why is it dangerous to walk into a psychiatrist's office? So for those of you who are joining me for the first time, my name is Harriet Kamek. This is Down to Earth, the podcast in which we talk about the issues that matter. You can find more information about me at harrietkamek.com as well as the exodusfoundation.com, as well as you can listen to our previous podcasts on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you so much for your support. We've been doing this for a while. We've been podcasting since 2009 on Blog Talk Radio. So shout out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio. And we've been on syndicated radio here in Detroit for some time now. So we have gone into podcasting full time because this is a way to reach more people across the country and across the world. So I want to say shout out to our listeners, to my listeners all over the world. We have listeners in the United Kingdom, listeners in Switzerland, in France, Bangladesh. And shout out to folks in Namibia and in South Africa and in France. Just thank you so much for continuing to listen to our podcast. This is mind-blowing. And I want to say this article that I read is about psychiatric conditions in America. So this, I don't know what it's like in in the country where you are. I haven't looked at it. I haven't read about it. So I'm talking specifically about what happens here in America. And it's mind-blowing. Uh, I mean, I can't believe some of the stuff I read. So Dr. Peter Bregging, Bregging uh, is an MD. He's a psychiatrist. And he wrote a book called Mad in America. So he has a website, madinamerica.com. And he's highlighting what is happening in psychiatry in America. Of course, you know, we have an, we've had an opioid crisis for some time. But behind the crisis, we've noticed an uptick in people committing suicides. And at first... We were like, oh my God, people are just simply not able to cope with the issues of life. Uh, We know that people have, now that we know, we know people have had situations where they've been exposed to multiple concussions, right? That cause traumatic brain injury and traumatic life situations that render people unable to carry out the daily activities of living. So invariably people will seek help and they'll go to a psychiatrist. But according to Dr. Peter Bregin, going to a psychiatrist is ominous and dangerous. Dangerous for your health. It's one of the most dangerous things that you could ever do. Unknown to most of us is that psychiatrists have a lot of power. I didn't know that. Psychiatrists have the power to deem you unfit for uh, and deem you a danger to yourself and to society. And then 
to determine that you should be locked up. So don't play with psychiatrists. So don't put yourself ever in a position where you're under the care of a psychiatrist. Because if you sit in a psychiatrist's couch and they determine, they have the power of the pen to determine that you are medically and emotionally unfit to live by yourself, they can call the police and have the police lock you up and take you to the place where the guys in white jackets and straight jackets are. That is the most dangerous situation. But the thing, the intersection that got to me was the intersection of psychiatry, the practice of psychiatry and big pharma. You heard me, the practice of psychiatry and big pharma. That means drug companies are interested in doing what? Selling their drugs. They have a willing market. Oh, I have issues. My mother beat me up in childhood. I was raped when I was 10. Uh, My father abandoned me. We have issues. Right? So I think I need help coping because I can't cope. And so we go into a psychiatrist's office thinking that they're going to help us cope with the issues of life. And then they write you a drug. That drug is called a neurotoxin. I'm going to read to you what Dr. Peter Bregan wrote. Because clearly you might think this is, this is something that Harriet made up. But, but, but listen to this. Uh, the drugs, neurotoxin drugs, right? Produce a zombie-like effect. Neurotoxins, listen to this. Neurotoxins are erroneously called antidepressants, stimulants, anti-anxiety drugs, mood stabilizers, and psychotic drugs. They wear down people's cognitive abilities, your motivation, and your emotional sensitivity. In other words, Big Pharma is telling you that you're taking antidepressants. You know, guess who the biggest prescribers of antidepressants are? Your primary care doctor, isn't it? Yeah, you go into your doctor and you start telling them and they ask you what's going on and you start telling them how, you know, this happened. Mom died, dad died, my husband left me, my husband stayed, my children are going crazy, my boyfriend left me, my girlfriend left me. And you start talking about the the job left me, whatever your issues are. And you start, you know, I discovered I had an illness, I can't cope with it. So the biggest prescribers are your primary care doctors, right? So your primary care doctor writes you an antidepressant in a vacuum thinking that they can monitor you. So when you come back, they will tell you to take it like for 14 days and then you come back and tell them. The drugs are also severely addictive, by the way. But what they do is they produce a zombie-like effect. So you end up being addicted to the drug and when you're off the drug, you act, you act out, you're agitated, you're angry. So then they call the doctor. The doctor says, I got to refer you to a psychiatrist. That's the most dangerous thing that could happen because psychiatrists as a practice are arrogant and lack empathy. So your family thinking they're doing you good, call in a psychiatrist to help you to cope with your issues that started out because you couldn't cope. So you went to your primary care, primary care wrote you an antidepressant. Then the antidepressant sent you off the rails. So now they call a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist comes in and it's one of two things they're going to do. They're going to put you on more drugs that make you zombie-like. And they probably will recommend electric shock therapy. Now, according to Dr. Bregan, electroshock therapy is a trauma, gives you a traumatic brain injury. So the same thing, the same remedy the psychiatrist is rendering 
to help you is the same thing that is continuing to hurt you. The drugs themselves are neurotoxins. You just heard me describe what they are. Neurotoxins are, let me read it one more time, are erroneously called antidepressants. So the psychiatrist just continues to write you more drugs. After a while, your family starts saying, wait a minute, they were not acting this way until they started taking this drug. Maybe we should review it. Most people are intimidated by psychiatrists because they're very arrogant. Typically, the more prestigious they are is the more dangerous they are. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute, right? So the drugs... This is the thing that blew my mind. The drugs, the same antidepressants that they're prescribing to help you is the same antidepressants that is producing in you the side effects that make you crazy. I'm going to tell you my own story. A few years ago, I think it was in 2012, I had lost my full-time job. I had been unemployed for a year by this time and I had to move and the relocation, my daughter was going off to college. There was just a whole lot going on. It was just crazy stuff. And in the midst of all that craziness, I had to, I had to, I found myself on the receiving end and I said, maybe I need to go talk to someone. So I went to my doctor, primary care doctor. And my primary care doctor wrote me a prescription for an antidepressant. For years, I never, ever believed in antidepressants. I always thought they sent you off the rails. Well, my doctor wrote me one and I said, out of curiosity, I'm just going to read the side effects. You know what was the first side effects? Suicide. Depression. And I was like, then why would I need to take an antidepressant if I'm already depressed? I didn't understand that. I threw it in the fireplace and lit lit the lighter and burnt it up. I don't take antidepressants. Never have. I never will. Because I believed when I read that side effect, I said, so you're telling me my children would sit here and watch me going crazy and would not know what to do. That was enough for me. And this was prescribed by my primary care with good intentions. Now, when I did go for a follow-up, she asked me, how are you coping? And I said, yes, I went to talk to a counselor. I'm going to tell you more about that. So you might be asking the question, so Harry, what do we do if we can't go to see a, a, a shrink? Well, who do you go to? Good question. Let me help you with that. Go and see a non-clinical person. How about going to see a social worker who is licensed as a therapist, a counselor who is licensed as a therapist, but who won't write you a drug. Instead, they will prescribe behavior modification and cognitive behavioral uh, 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 applications that will help you to cope with the issues of life. But you definitely, definitely cannot go to a shrink. They will lock you up. So here you are, according to Dr. Bregan, I'm, I'm gonna read you some more facts. If you walk into a psychiatrist's office, for sure they're gonna write you a neurotoxic psychiatric drug or even prescribe electroshock therapy. The info given you will totally mislead you about your problems. You need to know that. The psychiatrist is going to tell you stuff that is going to scare you into thinking you are crazy. You will become, if you continue to visit that shrink, you will become a lifelong prisoner of psychiatric drugs. Have you never wondered about people who have been in therapy for 10 years and can't seem to shake free? That is an arrogant psychiatrist who is prescribing them drugs. And that psychiatrist, listen to this, you ready? That psychiatrist is being paid, is on the hook 
with the big with big pharma the drug company incentivized psychiatrists to write these drugs that are called antidepressants that's a fancy word but an antidepressant is actually a drug that is a neurotoxin okay they call them anxiety drugs they call them mood stabilizers but all they do is dumb you down and reduce your cognitive abilities and reduce remove your emotional sensitivity so in other words you you know what your emotional sensitivity is when someone is hurting right so you might react when someone is hurting or you might react when someone is upset so it will slow you down or you will recognize that that person is very upset so you yourself will, will apply a different uh, attitude to deescalate well these neurotoxins don't do that which helps you all of us to understand why people go crazier when they're under the treatment of a psychiatrist so what do you do you call the psychiatrist oh my god you wouldn't believe what tom just did he's so crazy he's got to go uh uh-huh. the psychiatrist says absolutely she comes she writes a script she calls the cops and lock him up put away the key and even prescribes in these conditions electroshock therapy has shown results and even when family members are saying no i don't think it needs to be that extreme the psychiatrist overrides and says do you want him locked up i can have him put away for a certain amount of time here's the other thing your withdrawal if you choose to withdraw from that drug on your own you're going to have some problems you're going to be agitated i kid you not this stuff was 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 uh was was mind blowing to me. I had to write it down because I was like, no, I don't want to miss it. If you stop these drugs on your own, re- withdrawing from the drugs can give you complete recovery, but here's the deal. If you choose to stop it on your own, people experience dangers, withdrawal, fighting, right? They have symptoms like anxiety, agitation, depression, suicidal feelings making them believe that they need the drugs to stay sane the drugs produce a zombie like effect psychiatrists are aware of the side effects and they cover them up with a conclusion by telling patients and families that the drugs are needed and the symptoms of brain injury are indicative of the patient's supposed mental illness y'all understand what i'm saying So you went in because you were having issues coping with the, some of the stuff that happened to us in childhood that are now making you question some things in adulthood. That's why you went in in the first place. You didn't go in because you had bipolar. You went in because you were trying to cope. And then when you went in, the psychiatrist said, "Oh, you have bigger issues. You really are just crazy. I can lock you up and throw away the key. First, I'm going to prescribe you some neurotoxins, which are labeled as antidepressants, stimulants, and anti-anxiety drugs. They're literally neurotoxins that produce a zombie-like effect in people. That's why Dr. Bregan has a website called Mad in America. This is designed to make you aware so that if you feel you have issues, here's your alternative. Go talk to a psychol as a, a social worker. They're trained, a licensed therapist, and they're trained or you come to people like me who are life coaches who just help you to cope with what has happened to you. Let me tell you how I know this to be true. 
When I set up the Exodus Foundation, we provide services to uh, relief services to victims of human trafficking, adult victims of human trafficking. So they were trafficked as children. They find themselves as adults. Typically, their life expectancy is not very long. It's not past 35. But they find themselves older and they're trying to cope with what happened to them. So part of what we do is provide therapy services. So when I set up the contract with the therapist, she's a licensed therapist, right? I said, if they need drugs, then we would advance it to a psychiatrist. But I didn't think they would need that because I'm a life coach. I'm a spiritual counselor. I'm a minister, so I can guide them through whatever it is. I was confident of that. So when, when, when they went to the therapist, I discovered that some of the modalities that she was, she used in her application to relieve the, 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 the girls wasn't working. The girls came back more agitated, more dangerous. They wanted to burn the house down. They wanted to slap me upside the face. And I was like, whoa, 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 stop. I'm like, what the heck is going on when you do go to therapy? So in an effort to try and understand, I went to one of my mentors who is a counselor. He's not a psychiatrist. He's a psychologist. Yeah. So he doesn't write drugs. So I went to him and I said, what is wrong? You know, I don't know. And he, you know what he said to me? He said, you're doing the right thing. He said, Harry, what we are finding is that prescribing antidepressants and drugs don't help people. He's now deceased. He he was 75. After 50 years, he said, Harry, it does not work. He said, what you're doing as a life coach, teaching them alternative ways to look at the situation is actually more effective in treating than giving them drugs. I was blown away. I'm like, wow. I was like, seriously? And he's like, seriously. He said, they're better off listening to you than going to sit on a psychiatrist's couch. This happened. I was so blown away. I was like, I respect this man. I am going to take what he says literally because I know of his work over 50 years of treating children and individuals traumatized by life events. He's well-respected in his field, in what he does. I am going to take his word for it. But I became curious. So I began looking around the web for people with similar opinion, just to see if I were on the right track. And then I found much to my chagrin that I indeed am on the right track. People actually are suffering because psychiatrists are so arrogant Have you ever been to a psychiatrist? I've never known one, and I don't want to after this. I've never had to deal with one, and I probably don't. They're very arrogant. But, you know, I used to attribute their arrogance to most doctors are arrogant. Let's just be clear. It's very rare to find a doctor who is approachable and empathetic. They tend to be very arrogant. They think they're superior human beings because they know how to treat what is wrong with our bodies. They know that they can fix what is wrong with you physically. So imagine a psychiatrist who thinks he has the answers to fix what's in your mind. Can you just imagine the level of arrogance that that just goes to? It's the craziest thing you have ever heard. It's the craziest thing I have ever heard. It's called Mad in America. The intersectionality though, is where the psychiatrist with their arrogance and lack of empathy 
in practice or in the practice of their profession, their arrogance and the lack of empathy. And now combined with that is their, their, their contrition with big pharma. They're incentivized. Psychiatrists are paid by drug companies to write these prescriptions. So psychiatrists live in million dollar homes and have million dollar lifestyles. You are nobody to them. They're going to write that prescription because they get paid for it. So if they think that you need to be electroshocked and be given diazepam 10 milligrams five times per day, you best believe that's exactly what they're going to do because they have a lifestyle and they don't care. Psychiatrists don't go to see other psychiatrists because they know themselves. So if you, if you feel like, my thing is, if you feel like you have issues coping with life, go see a social worker or a licensed therapist. They're not going to write a drug. They're going to give you behavior modification therapists. Those actually work better. Now, in, in the cases where people need to be uh, uh, institutionalized, that's a whole different thing. The problem here is that they're just sending a lot of people to be institutionalized who just started out having little or no issues at all. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the difference. Psychiatrists are aware of the side effects and come to the conclusion by telling patients and families that the drugs are needed and the, the, the symptoms of brain injury are indicative of the patient's supposed mental illness. It's the drugs that give you. And listen to this part. The more prestigious they are, the more dangerous they are. So psychiatrists who are attached to university medical schools, guess what? They're incentivized by the drug companies. Psychiatry is a willing thriving prisoner of big pharma. And the thing about it is you try to withdraw from these drugs and they can give complete recovery. You can if you want to. The thing about these drugs is when you go into a psychiatrist's office, they do an evaluation to determine, you know, who you are. They start asking you questions. This is why when you go, I have this thing. If you are not, if you have a loss in the family, right? If you have to deal with uh, a loss of some sort, whether it's loss of a job, divorce, loss of a loved one, loss of a friend, you had to relocate, your children left and went to college, then your husband left or your wife left or your husband left you for someone younger, your wife left you for someone younger or they left you for someone richer or someone for whatever the issues are. Go talk to a non-clinical person. If the person's card says, Dr. Jim Brown, psychiatrist, run for your life. Don't go there. Do not go there. They're going to lock you up and they're going to ply you with neurotoxins. That's what these drugs do. They reduce your cognitive ability. They reduce your emotional sensitivity. They wear you down so you act out as if you're crazy. And then they justify by saying, 
that it is your brain injury symptoms that cause it when in fact these symptoms did not appear. And if family members intervene, psychiatrists will override them and call the cops and say this person is a danger to society. They should be locked away. Avoid psychiatrists with everything in you. Avoid them. Go to go to a licensed therapist. There are plenty of licensed therapists. If you were to Google licensed therapists in your area, just put in your zip code, you will find them. But read their profile carefully. Now, there are some people who need psychiatric intervention. There are people who need that. But the goal is to prevent them from getting that far. The goal is to ameliorate the situation and provide them with behavior modification applications that can mitigate that and minimize that. But if you're going to put people, just lock people up and give them electroshock therapy, it's the craziest thing ever. Can you believe the abuse? Psychiatrists are arrogant and unempathetic and they are abusive. They are abusive because they abuse your right to be healed and your right to recover. They are abusive because they override your own inhibitions and dare to tell you what you need when it comes to treating your mind. The mind is powerful. The mind can project onto us. The mind can resurrect stuff that happened 40 years ago, 70 years ago, and bring it somehow into relevance. The mind can use memories to trick you. And sometimes you can go into a psychiatrist's office and they can make suggestions, like you're relating a story about what happened. And they can make suggestions and infer situations into your narrative to configure your narrative to sound like what they want to come to the conclusion so they can justify writing that drug. Am I lying? You all know it's true. Some people will say, don't go to a psychiatrist. It wrecked my marriage the day my wife started going to a psychiatrist, the day my child went to a psychiatrist. How many of us have had children who are acting out and you send them to see a shrink? Your child starts acting out, you send them to see a shrink. Because you think, we think at the back of our minds, the shrink knows best how to treat the mind, right? So you send your kid to a shrink, and before you know it, little Johnny and little Ashley is locked away and becomes a zombie. And they're trying to tell you, mommy, please don't. And the psychiatrist say, she doesn't know what she's talking about. That's the injury. That's the situation that caused this. Making you feel guilty and feel bad. But something in you is saying something is wrong. They were just yelling and screaming at me. They didn't have these issues. And then if people commit suicide while they're under psychiatric help, you know they, you know who gets the blame. I guarantee you that after most of you have heard this broadcast and read these stories, you're going to re-examine some of what your family members have described and gone through. Some of you might even find yourselves doing what? You know it. You might find yourselves getting your shrink locked up. You can complain, by the way. Every state has a department of health. Well, psychiatrists have to be licensed to practice, right? So you can go to your state department, your department of state in your state, go to their website and find out how you can complain about about them because they wield power. And they're not afraid to wield that power. They're not afraid to make you be afraid of them. They're very arrogant. 
And especially when they're connect, attached to university medical schools, we call it the ivory tower of intellectualism. You know what that is. They think that they know it all and end all. All professors on college campuses think they know it all and the end all. None of them have really worked in real life. They never had to do a startup. They never had to start a business from scratch. They just sit and write papers all day and make money and get paid. They never had to test their theories in real life. They never had to live real life. I remember when my oldest daughter went to college, I, before she went, I told her about this ivory-towered intellectualism BS that was going on. She laughed it off when she went to college and she found it was true. Right? She was initially excited that, yeah, some of the things she told me happened. After a while, she started to believe it. I said, there you go. You start believing in that foolishness. I said, now you're going to completely change. She completely revolutionized and changed because she started believing. I said, they have to sell you a song. They have to justify their means of living and their income. So they're going to tell you any BS that they have to, to justify. And in this case, in psychiatry, these people are in bed with pharmaceutical drug companies to make America mad and more mad. So we are all mad. We're all getting madder, all insane with these neurotoxins that they're telling people. They're labeling them as anti-anxiety drugs. People are on all kinds of stuff and then they get shaken up. And they can't, they act out, they're agitated, they're angry all the time. It's the neurotoxins. The drugs are designed to work on your brain. They work on the chemicals in your brain and produce negative side effects. They tested them on lab rats. They did test them. And the FDA knows about this? Hell yeah, but who is the FDA? Does the FDA work for you and I? No. The FDA works for who? The lobbyists in Congress who can lobby somebody to get what they want. So the FDA is not in the business of protecting you and I. That's not their goal. It might say so, it might say so, but that's not actually in practice. That's not what happens. So who are you going to rely on to figure this out? Yourself. You're going to do your own research. If you wake up and you find that you're having issues, coping with the issues of your life, then you're going to have to find a way to cope with them seriously. Sometimes we have to do what is called talking ourselves off the ledge, right? You have to find yourself someone you can talk to. How many times have I said that? Go talk to someone. How many times have I said that? You never hear me tell you to go see a psychiatrist, but I'll tell you to go talk to someone. Go find a counselor. They are licensed therapists and social workers, right? Do not go see a psychiatrist. According to Dr. Peter Bracken, it's the most dangerous thing that you can do. They're going to give you neurotoxins. I'm, I'm going to say it over and over till you, till you understand. Until you yourself have to back up and act. Because see, in me talking about this, you already have a prejudice built up in your mind against what I'm saying because you, in, you, you believe in your, in your shrink. And that is exactly what the shrink job was, was to make you believe that everyone else is crazy except him or her. They succeeded because now you're thinking, I just have a a soapbox to stand on. Well, I wish it were that simple. After reading the story, I thought that I have a responsibility to tell the public and notify the public and inform the public of the dangers of this because most of us walk into a shrink's office unaware of how we're going to exit that place. We all have issues. 
you just had a bad breakup, a bad, you know, your marriage ended, you're trying to cope and you're having issues and you think you need to go talk to someone. You're not really sure why all these things are happening and you're trying to keep it together. So you don't want to develop an addiction to alcohol because that was one way of coping. Then you had another way of coping was to use drugs. Yeah. So imagine if you are a drug user or you're drinking alcohol and then you end up on these neurotoxins that you're taking. Imagine what is happening inside your brain, all those chemicals working overtime to make you see things that don't happen. It's the drugs. But if the psychiatrists are not helping the public and informing the public that the danger is in the neurotoxins, then who is going to do it? It's not going to be the FDA. Because if the, the psychiatrists are the ones who are prescribing the drugs, they know more about the drug interaction effect. Yeah? But they're not telling the public because they're being incentivized by Big Pharma to continue prescribing these drugs. Big Pharma does not care if everybody in America is mad. They probably like that because then everybody would be buying their drugs. Remember the opioid crisis? We saw a similar thing. People were abusing prescription drugs disguised as antidepressants that are neurotoxins. The Sackler family didn't care. All they cared about was how much money they were making. So when they were in fact held accountable, they found and wiggled their ways out of serving time in jail. But the low-level drug pusher on the street corner and the low-level drug pusher and pill pusher gets locked up for life. Meanwhile, the Sackler family and others of their ilk are still walking around freely and laughing at you and I on their yacht, sipping mimosas, while America just goes crazier. I am not saying that there aren't real life issues. We all have issues. Everybody. We all have issues. I keep saying this, that if you, if you are over 25, you come to an age when you realize that there are some things might be wrong. If in today's world with divorces happening, everybody has issues. Let's just start right there. Your family disintegrated. So if you're a man and you have been divorced and you're seeking to go in a relationship, you need therapy. Go talk to a social worker and a licensed therapist. For the love of God, help all of us. Help yourself and the people you're going to interact with. Because whether you know it or not, men or women, once you have been burned, you kind of have issues about entering into relationships. So you do relationships and view them as a convenience because you're not going to get that interlocked anymore where you're going to be damaged and hurt again. So do yourself a favor and go talk to someone. Nobody needs to know. They're bound by confidentiality law. So do look at me. They're not going to go tell your current girlfriend that you're seeking therapy. But you need to go get therapy. Ladies, the same thing happens for all of us. If you've had a breakup, go talk to someone. Right? Most insurances uh, do pay for it. If you don't want the insurance company to know, hey, pay it out of pocket. And tell them, keep it off the books. I don't want dare to be a record so my insurance company knows so the people at my job know those are also reasons why people don't go some people are in professions that you don't want the public to know that you're seeking help and the public is anybody outside of you because of your position that you hold you can't let the public know that you have issues i knew somebody who who was married and after the marriage ended he had issues Right, And these issues were compounded by the fact that he had never sought therapy for his mom's death when he was a teenager. 
Fast forward, he has had four marriages. And I'm like, four? Are you crazy? You need therapy. You need to go talk to someone. He said, who can I talk to? If I show up at a therapist's office, who is going to, who can I talk to? They're going to go tell everybody that I have, that I'm seeking therapy. Do you see what I mean? So most of us, we have that image. After all, I'm a-okay. No, we're not. You need to go, you need to go unpack some of those stuff. I did a podcast on unpacking it in the fall. Go listen to it. We all have issues. Go unpack the stuff. We got to do that because it is a part of our mental health. And if we don't take care of our mental health, then it's going to harm us physically. And it could harm you and impair your ability to live because if you end up in a psychiatrist's couch for the love of God, what are they going to do? They're going to tell the men in white suits to come lock you up and put you away because you're a danger to yourself. Have you noticed that when you go to the doctor for a visit, there are certain questions they're asking you. Have you ever felt like? According to them, they're doing this in an effort to combat the high rates of suicide. No, they're labeling us all crazy. So I just think, no, 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 no. I don't have any issues. I don't have any problems. Don't, don't, don't go create a profile on me. Because then they immediately, based on your genetics, based on your demographics, especially, they start attributing things to you that don't even apply to the individual. What the hell is wrong with medicine and the practice of medicine in America? I am 53 freaking years old. Stop telling me that I have heart disease. I don't have heart disease. I don't have high blood pressure nor diabetes. Yet, when I go into a doctor's office, you want to assume that I have it just because of my demographic. What is wrong with the treatment of medicine in America? I am sick and tired of it. This is how come people get sold. So you go in there and your blood pressure, life is going to intervene. And you're going to go in there and your blood pressure is going to read 128 over 70 for the love of God. And all of a sudden, 128 over 70 becomes you are now a candidate for high blood pressure. So they start giving you high blood pressure drugs, which, by the way, give you cancer. So within five years, people start, you discover you have cancer. So within two, three years, you're dead. All because the doctor wants to write you a prescription and give attribute things to you based on demographics that don't apply to the individual. Have you noticed the practice of medicine is a one-size-fits-all? That it is not individual, it's not specific to individuals. That is a big part of the problem in America today. It is not specific to the individual. And personally, I am done and sick and tired of it. I I had to yell at someone the other day. I'm like, stop it. I don't have high blood pressure. Stop trying to to put me in a box because of my age and my demographic. That means I must have it. I am healthier than you are at 36. Probably healthier than a 28-year-old if you really want to know the truth. And then here's the thing. I went for a stress test. And the, 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 the technician who was doing it began laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? And she's like, there's so nothing wrong with you. I don't even know why you're here. My test came back normal. Not normal for someone my age. It came back normal because I'm normal. Do you understand what I'm saying? The practice of medicine in America today is jacked up and is being influenced by doctors who are incentivized by drug makers. God help me from showing up in a doctor's office. You better all not try me. Right? 
I am so sick and tired of it to find ourselves at the mercy of needing physician's care and you go into the, do- the, the doctor and you come back out sick, sicker than you were before. You know what scares us about the coronavirus? It's not the fact that there is a virus out there that we are all subject to. You know what really scares us? What is really scaring us about the coronavirus is this one thing. Dang, they got me now. I am God, they're going to get me in a hospital and I'm never going to come out alive. Because how many people go into hospitals and you develop another kind of infection? Are you listening to me? (laughs) It's the craziest thing I have ever heard in my life. (laughs) Right? You go into the hospital. I told you the story of my mom who went into a hospital for a surgery. And then she developed a hospital staph infection that almost killed her if we hadn't been vigilant of her condition. She would have died from a hospital staph infection. I haven't forgotten that. The practice of medicine in America is severely jacked up. Are you all hearing me? <laughs> it's, 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 it. Guys, just understand. I'm human, just like you, right? And when I talk about these things, I'm talking about it because I'm placing myself darn smack in the midst of needing it. You see what I mean? I can't imagine that I go to a... This is why. I'm just going to tell you my honest truth. My honest truth is that I don't go to psychiatrists. When you hear me say I go to therapy, you've, you've heard me say I go to therapy. I go to a social worker. I learned a long time ago that they have better treatment modalities than psychiatrists do. Psychiatrists to me are extremely way off for anyone to go to. That's when someone is downright insane. And the more I'm reading about it is the more I'm recognizing that they are kind of prescribing a lot of people as insane. You know, it's like looking at the suicide rates, right? How many of us have looked at suicide rates and we've all said, wait a minute, is everybody going crazy or what? Are we just so unable to cope with the issues of life that our parents and grandparents had to deal with? I mean, they had issues too. Maybe they didn't have the same issues that we had. I remember growing up with my mom. She had breakups. She had job loss that impacted her economics, right? I remember I was just about to go into high school when she lost her job. I was just about to go to college when she lost her job. Do you see what I'm saying? So these things happen as a matter of course they happen in life. Isn't it the truth? So how did she cope? I remember when mom was alive once, I asked her that question. I said, seriously, you need to tell me, how did you cope with being left to raise children on your own? And she said, you did what you had to do, right? And I'm like, you never talked to anybody? She said, no, in that day and time, you didn't really do that. So now we're saying, well, with more information that we have today, we should go and talk to people to help us cope. My friends, talk yourself off the ledge. 
Let's start there. Can I just be honest with you? You broke up with someone. You need to sit down and have a come to Jesus moment with yourself. Talk to yourself. Your husband left. Your girlfriend left. Your wife left. Your partner left. Your life partner left. Sit down and talk to yourself first. Here's what I recommend. Make yourself a cup of tea. Yeah. Get out pen and paper. Get dressed like the boss that you are and the awesome person that you are and make yourself a list. Talk to yourself and you're going to cry and make yourself cry. Dry your tears, sip your cup of tea, cross your legs and say, look, I got to live this thing out. Don't go crazy. Don't go slashing people's tires. Don't go show up at their house. Don't go stalking them by driving around looking at them. Just leave them be. Constrain yourself. Because the truth is, the truth of the matter is, if most of us gave in to that, boy, it would have been on and popping, as the kids would say. And that is the truth. Just constrain yourself. When my ex, when I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, I'm a woman. Sucker cheated on me, right? Then let, then acted like it was nothing. Cheated on me, then abandoned me when my mom died, right? I felt lost and alone and abandoned. I had, everybody was coming at me with this grief thing. And I had no one to go to. So I called up some people I knew to, I need to talk to someone because I'm going through this. So to keep me level, I went and talked to people. Meanwhile, he's over there carrying on. But what I did was I structured myself. In the midst of that, I focused on a project. You see what I'm saying? I knew I had my cognitive ability to know that I had to focus. So I focused on the big picture. I said, who is he? Nothing. Who are you? Public figure. You can't just go out and do crazy stuff. You can't yell. I yelled at him and then it was done in 24 hours. I yelled at him for 24 hours, called him and yelled at him for 24 hours. Then I stopped. I said, no, don't do it anymore. Don't leave him a voicemail. Don't say nothing. I'm telling you how to cope with these things. And then I was done. I didn't go to his place. Didn't go to his place of business. Didn't go to his place of work. I told myself he was not important. Do you see what I'm saying? I had to diminish him in my eyes so that I could cope and live. I am saying this is how you cope. Then I did. I made myself a cup of tea, sat at my dining table, get my pen and paper out. I said, here's what we're going to do. When I felt like talking about it, I went upstairs and talked to myself. I went in my bedroom. I went upstairs. I have this space in my bedroom where I can talk. I went out to eat. I went shopping. I went and talked to a therapist who is a social worker. And I coped. At the same time I was coping with my mother's death. At the same time I was coping with the abandonment of my mother's family members who mistreated me during that time. There was a lot going on. I developed a project. Came out shot. I came out, as the kids would say, I came out swinging like Tiger Woods' wife with a nine iron. I kid you not. It was just like I lined up every one of those obstacles that came at me and came at it with a nine iron and bam, knock it out the ballpark. I kid you not. I tell everybody 
Nobody needs to know how you cook. Here's what you do. Go get a punching bag and put it in a room in your house and punch the living daylights out of that thing. If you have to get a baseball bat, they, they sell them anywhere. You know, the plastic ones, get a punching bag and you go hit that thing until you work your angst out. Get in your car and go for a drive. So you take the subway to work. You have a car, go rent a car, rent a Maven or something for a day. Go for a drive. Do not take a pill. Never take a pill to cope. Don't pick up a drink. Because they're going to give you, it gives you more problems. So during that time, I didn't take pills or drink. You know, I don't believe in that anyway. I prayed and meditated. Yes, I went on a fast. I prayed. I got up at 4.30 in the morning, went down on my knees, prayed and fasted. It took six months before I could breathe again. It was horrible. I'd never want to visit that again. Never. And this is why I said, so imagine now if I had gone to my primary care, I did tell her my mom died and she asked, how are you coping with that? And I told her I was seeing a, a, a therapist and so on. Now imagine if, if they had given me some antidepressant. She did ask me if you need something. No, thank you. Tea is my beverage of choice. I make myself a cup of tea. Guys and girls, if, if I can't get a cup of tea, I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm seriously out of it. I make myself, I don't care if it's summer, winter, or spring. When stuff starts going off, I turn that kettle on. I plug, you know, we have, you, you know what it is, I have an electric kettle. I turn that kettle on and the active task of making myself a cup of tea is one of the ways I cope with stuff. I'm just trying to help you all by seeing how we cope. Don't go talking to a shrink. They're going to write you some prescription that is a neurotoxin that makes you, it diminishes your cognitive ability to recognize what you're going through. So you have this stuff. So you start blaming the stuff instead of blaming the pill that the pill is producing these negative interactions. Do you see what I'm saying? My God. It's 50 minutes. I, I gotta go. I can't sit here all day and talk to you like I want to. Would you stay around? Because I kid you not, the stuff that we go through. Look, I'm female, right? Everybody has this self-image. Men have it too. Someone leaves you. They reject you. It's rejection. Go find out for yourself why do you react this way to rejection? So when my ex-boyfriend, I broke up with him because he was cheating and it was going on over and over. And then he was acting like I'm a fool for breaking up with him, right? So I had to ask myself, but why does that hurt? What, go back into myself to understand where was I first hurt and where was I first rejected? And then I worked my way forward. And I said, oh, that's what happened then? Oh, okay. So that's why you react like that. I'm like, girl, please, let's hit the mall. I grabbed my car keys, grabbed my purse and hit it. I said, here's how I work this one up. My hormones went to shot. I gained like 20 or 30 pounds because I was eating sugar. (laughs) I ate so many brownies. (laughs) I kid you not. But then I told myself, you know, you can always go work that off. It's cheaper to work that off than it was to go take an antidepressant. 
that would diminish my cognitive ability. You wouldn't believe it was during that time that my focus was so razor sharp. I set up the Exodus Foundation. I set up a shelter. I went and negotiated with folks to get a house. I went and negotiated with law enforcement agencies here in the Southeast Michigan area. I went and talked to others, went around the state and talked to others to find out what the needs are of human trafficking survivors. I kid you not. During all that time. It's sort of like my comeuppance, yeah? When there I was on TV telling the public about the dangers of human trafficking, knowing that the ex-boyfriend was probably laid up in bed with some chick, turned his TV on that morning, and my face was there. Oh man, you should have seen me in that video. I was, I started smiling when it's like (laughs) flashback. And I'm like, that's what he gets. (laughs) That is exactly what he gets for thinking that he leaving me was going to make me a sad case. You all, we need to climb out of some of these things. And when it happens, don't go back into people like that again. Do you understand? We need to climb up all of these things. You see my face today? I'm laughing. Why am I laughing? Because leaving him was the best thing I have ever done. I could have done. Because there was no way that he was ever going to change. He had his issues. They're not mine. And this is the approach that we need to take about some of these issues. When we get entangled with people, right? We need to start looking at it objectively because what we do is we look at it subjectively and blame ourselves and say, it's my fault. It's me. Start looking at maybe this was the wrong person. Maybe this person was wrong because they didn't meet a need that I have. That's why we all need to take a break. When you break up with someone, don't jump into another relationship. Take a break. Sit back, analyze, And ask yourself, what are my needs? Have you ever asked yourself that? If somebody is not fulfilling your need at one point or another, it's going to, it's going to explode because you're dissatisfied. And when it happens, what you're going to do, you don't want to be left on the side of the road. Like they drop you off at the train station and jump on the train and pulled off. That's how it felt. I mean, like this man deals in the grief business. He owns a funeral parlor. For the love of God, when my mother died, you would have thought in the time that I spent with him, how many times did I interact with him when he was helping his friends and everybody else coping with their needs? You would have thought that he would have been there for me during this time, wouldn't he? No, he took off like a rocket, like he was missing in action. I couldn't believe I felt like he dropped me off at the train station and took off. It was the one time that I needed him the most. So I had to go back into myself and have this honest conversation with myself. At what point did you think he was able to meet any need, especially an emotional need? I'm serious. I had to go back and ask myself. And then when I could, the blame stopped here. I said, well, we need to fix that. We need to fix that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm being transparent because I feel like these are some of the reasons why we end up seeing psychiatrists, right? And when we go to them, they take advantage of your vulnerability and your need in that moment and send you into new, into drugs that hurt you and destroy your life. Do you know how vulnerable I was? It was the year 2017, y'all. 
my mom died. My mom was my confidant. You don't realize how attached you are. She was my best friend and then she was gone. And here is my ex-boyfriend who, like I tell you, this is his business. He talks to people all day about their grieving relatives and how to cope. And when it was my turn, he was missing in action. I felt like they dropped me off. I had to go back in myself, trash it out, expose me, and deal with me. Because there's one thing I was sure of. I'm not taking any antidepressants for nobody. They are not worth it. It's me and how I survive. So I'm saying to all of us, I want you to write a letter to yourself. You think you can do that? I want you to write a letter to yourself. I am Harriet, so I sat down and I wrote, Dear Harriet, I love you and I am here for you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I said that to myself. I had to write the letter like that. I want you to write a letter to yourself and tell yourself those affirming words. The minute you affirm yourself first, Anything else that anybody else does becomes secondary because now you can look at it objectively. Don't look at it subjectively. Don't look at it like I deserve that. Oh my God, I'm such a hang dog. My mama left, my daddy left, and because of that, this is what happened. See, we're wrapping up. They're telling me I have only 90 seconds left, right? So I want you to write a letter to yourself and talk to you and say, you know what? These bad things happened. I am making amends. Put the liquor down, put the pills down, put the marijuana down, the cannabis. It's still marijuana, it's a drug. It's made up of a lot of chemicals that are interacting with the chemicals in your body. So they're producing neurotoxins that are gonna hurt you. Put it down. You think Big Pharma ain't behind the cannabis thing all over the country? Think again. They're making money either way, right? This is, this is Down to Earth. My name is Harry Kimmick. <laughs> Make sure you come back and join me. I'm probably going to have a, a, a therapist session one evening. Y'all up for that? Tweet me and let me know if you want to do that. We just have a group therapy session, right? Where we all just come together and just talk. Yeah? And I'll talk about me. I don't want you to put your business out there because some of you have jobs. They'll come after you. I'll put me out there. I'll string me out and hold me out and tell you my issues and how I solve them. So that if you see something in my story that helps you, then God bless all of us, right? My name is Harriet Kimmock. Go to my website, harrietkimmock.com, as well as make sure you test us out. See us on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed.